It's been a bit of a crazy, uh, crazy morning for the worship team and for the programming team as they kind of get things together and things that looked like they might have been in place um, quickly kind of unraveled and things got really complex right away this morning where we thought we had people in place to do certain things and we didn't and we kind of had to scramble and figure things out. And um, <clears throat> it's a testament to that team. They just crushed it this morning leading us in worship. But here's the deal. Complexity is reigning in our world today. Complexity is reigning in our world today, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're in the middle of our detox series, our third week out of four, where we're looking at things in our lives, in our world, that are causing us to be separated from God in some way, that are causing us to not be in as, in as an intimate relationship that God wants us to be in with him. And so the first week, Zach came and he spoke about subjectedness. Subjectedness just meaning finding truth somewhere that is not of God, right? Our culture is full of that, where, oh no, this is true now. It says something different in scripture, but we're not going to believe that. We're going to believe something else. And we need to detox from that in our world so that we can be subject to God instead of subject to other things. And then last week, Scott brought the message and he spoke about uh, detoxing from selfishness. Our world is full of selfishness. We see it all of the time. All of the time we see selfishness. And so removing ourselves from a situation where we can be selfish and looking to how we can be generous, generous, as Sharon spoke about earlier. How can we live our lives generously, detoxing from selfishness and living our lives generously? And then today we're talking about complexity. Talking about complexity, how in our world and in our culture, complexity reigns over us. Well, that's not what God called us to. That's not how God created us, right? So I, I, just, I don't know about you guys, but there, there's one place in particular in Blue Springs that uh, is overly complex for no reason at all, and it makes me nervous when I walk into the building, and that's 54th Street Bar and Grill. <laughs> we went there a couple weeks ago, and I hadn't been in a while, and I know why now. Um, it is bananas. It is crazy in there, right? You walk in the front door, there's a giant wooden bear for some reason. I don't know why he's there, right? He's like got his hand up like he's gonna give you a five or something. It doesn't make any sense. You walk into the room and it's a Saturday night and it's packed because there's a daddy-daughter dance so all the daddies are bringing their daughters to 54th Street to eat dinner and there's about 30 small children in dresses and dad's standing there. It was packed and it was crazy and then you look at the walls and there's a baseball glove next to a picture of Marilyn Monroe next to a canoe paddle. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. It's like they went into somebody's garage and grabbed everything that they thought they could put a nail in and then went into the guy's man cave and then went into some other room in the house and just said yes to everything and threw it up on the wall. And I, it, like, my wife, I don't like crowds of people and I don't like things like that, but it made me feel very uh, closed in. And that's the complexity in this world where we say yes to everything and we put it all up on the wall and we live our life that way. So today we're gonna talk about that and as I was thinking about this idea of detoxing, 
What does it mean to detox from something? I made the mistake of Google, Googling detox and clicking on the first video that popped up, and it's this guy talking about this amazing method he has to clear out whatever part of the body that he wanted to clear out of you to detox you, right? And he walks through it, and it's the same way any infomercial walks through this new thing that they're going to give you, whether it's a juice cleanse or a pill that you can take or whatever it might be, it's that you've got a problem, right? You've got a problem, and I'm going to fix it for you, and here are the benefits. That's how he walked through his product. This is about a five-minute video, but there was a problem, and he had to tell you about it, and it was gross, right? And then he had a remedy. He had a remedy for it, and then he told you the benefits. And today, that's what I want to do as we walk through this idea of complexity, I want to tell you where complexity starts, where complexity comes from, where the problem of complexity's origins are. And then I want to tell you practically how can we detox? How can we detox from complexity? How can we pull ourselves out of it in some way, in a practical way? And then I want to tell you what the benefits are, right? I'm going to be an infomercial today, right? We've got a problem. We've got a practical way to fix it. And here are the benefits. So those are the three questions I'm going to answer. Where does complexity come from? How can we detox from it? And what are the benefits? Everybody on board with me? Yes? That was a quiet yes. Yes? Thank you. All right, here we go. Where does complexity start? Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Where does complexity come from? You see, God, as you're getting there, God, in chapter 1 of Genesis, creates everything in a moment. Let there be light, and there was. Let there be stars, and there were. God creates everything in a moment, and he goes through the creation story, and then he creates man in his own image, and he gives them a couple of things to do, right? One, Be fruitful and multiply. That's a pretty good life if that's your only rule. Right? But then also, don't eat of this tree. Don't eat of this tree. You see, God's creation, Adam and Eve had a very simple job. And they were in a position where they had unfettered access to God. They had an intimate relationship with God. It says later on in scripture that God was walking through the garden. Imagine living in a place where God just walks past you. That's pretty cool. They had unfettered access to God. They had no worries. They had no pain. They had no struggle. My daughter Nora has been watching The Lion King on a loop. They they had the Hakuna Matata life. No worries, no pain. Right? They lived that in an intimate relationship with God. They got to enjoy him and his creation. They got to have that one-on-one relationship with him. In, uh, <clears throat> in the 1640s, uh, a group of theologians from England and Scotland got together and they decided to write a document that would help solidify what they believed as a group of people about God, what they believed about God. And so they wrote this thing, and it's called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's a long phrase, but what it means is this. It's a set of questions and answers. 
to simplify and help people understand this is what we believe. So that false teachings, when they come in, they don't get confused by it. And the first question of the Westminster Catechism is this. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? That is a weird sentence today. We don't talk like that. But what it means is this. What is man's purpose? What is man's purpose? Or to put it differently, what is the meaning of our lives? That's a big question, right? That's a big question. And this document seems to answer it. And they say this. The answer to that, the chief end of man is this. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's simple. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so Adam and Eve are, are created into this world where their, their purpose on earth is to enjoy God and to glorify him forever. That is their purpose. That is why they have been created. And that's our purpose and why we've been created as well. To enjoy God and to glorify him. And Adam and Eve were living out their purpose and then sin enters the world. We all know the story. Eve is deceived by the serpent and takes of the fruit and convinces Adam to take of the fruit who is fully aware of what he's doing. He's not being tricked by his wife. And takes the fruit and sin enters the world for the first time. Shame, guilt, loneliness, and all other manner of unpleasant things fill them in that moment. And they were no longer living out their purpose. There was something that changed in their world. They were no longer glorifying God with their lives. Why? They disobeyed him. They separated themselves from him in that moment. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. God is speaking to Adam in the aftermath of that. And he says, Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You see, Adam and Eve had a pretty easy life. Everything was given to them, but now the struggle is real. Complexity enters the world. Adam and Eve have to work at it just to survive. And guess what? Also, death is coming, and it wasn't before. You shall return to dust. Complexity enters the world for the first time. So where does complexity come from? Complexity starts in the garden. Complexity starts in the garden. From the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, it starts there. And it has been unfolding and unfolding and unfolding ever since. Complexity comes from our sin getting in the way of our relationship with God, getting in the way of how we live out our purpose to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I, uh, <clears throat> in the midst of writing this, I was trying to think of 
something in our world that has gotten progressively more and more complex. And I realized that um, there are all kinds of examples, but the one that resonated with me may or may not resonate with you all, but here it goes anyway. We'll find out. I like jazz music. I admit it. I like jazz. I'm a fan. In high school, I played saxophone. I was in the jazz band. I was an all-state jazz player. I like jazz music. And ever since then, ever since college, every term paper I had to write, every message I give, what's on in the background, some jazz is playing. It's how I function with things. But as I started thinking about jazz, it's very complex at times. At times it's very simple, but at times it's like, what in the, they're just playing random notes really fast, right? It's how it comes across to us. And so I started thinking about it and I remembered this lecture that I saw um, online a number of years ago, and it's from Wynton Marsalis. Wynton Marsalis is a trumpet player from New Orleans. He's the, the director of jazz at Lincoln Center in New York City. He's a very, very famous jazz player and a historian of jazz music. And he is on stage with a young man who's younger than me, John Baptiste. John Baptiste is a piano player. Um, he's the, the, the leader of the band for The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. On TV, and he is also a very learned person about jazz music. And these two men are sitting on stage and answering questions about the history of jazz, and they start to talk about it, and they explain it this way: that the origins, the origins of jazz music as we know it, date back to Africa and the slave trade. And it really, the way we know it, it dates back to spirituals being sung in the fields by slaves. And over time, that music has been changed and gotten more and more complex as it moves, as it moves throughout the years. Through. So in the 1860s and 70s, slaves are becoming free and the music starts to change. Those spirituals start to change and become what kind of we understand as jazz music. And then in the early 1900s, we, we hear a different type of jazz music. And in the 20s and 30s, we hear the big bands of jazz music, Benny Goodman's and all these guys with these great big 30-piece bands playing these big hits that we've all heard. And then in the 50s and 60s, this very complex version of jazz, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Thelonious Monk, these guys. These names don't ring a bell with most of y'all, but with me, they're the giants of the genre right? These guys are playing this complex, these very intricate, weird, different styles of music. And this music has, over time, changed. And if we look at our lives today, generations ago, we always say it was a simpler time back then, right? It was simpler. But the complexity that started in the garden has just been wave after wave after wave over humankind. And today we live in this world where it seems like the notes that are being played are just gibberish at times. Work has become tedious and hard for a lot of us. It's become a struggle. Life, just getting out of bed for some of us is hard because it is overwhelming the responsibilities that we have. 
We're being pulled in so many different directions and we're trying to live out our purpose on our own, but it's not working. There's violence, there's shootings in our school. Complexity is huge and it's raining over us and it starts in the garden with sin entering the world. Let's jump forward to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 gives us the answer to the second question. So how do we detox from complexity? How do we remove ourselves from it? And it's this. Remember the Sabbath day starting in verse 8 to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work But the seventh seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. And made it holy. God is in the middle of giving instructions to the Israelites on how to live. On how to live. And most of them, eight out of the nine, ten commandments that God is in the midst of here are all, you better not do this. You better not have gods before, other gods before me. You better not lie. You better not kill. But this one is, remember, the Sabbath day. The other one is honor your father and mother. That's not a do not, it's a command. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. God gives clear instructions to the Israelites on how to rest. He gives them Sabbath. This idea of Sabbath, we, you hear it uh, talked about a lot from those of us who are up front, this idea of We want to teach you guys how to Sabbath, how to disciple one another, and then we want to send you out into this world, right? And so we want to talk about Sabbath today. And I'm going to be honest, I am not good at it. I am not good at it at all. I do not rest well. It's not something that I have put into practice in my life very well. And so I'm going to be honest, talking about this to y'all is me preaching to the choir 100%. Like I'm challenged by this today. And I feel very unqualified to teach this. But I believe it's true. And I believe we can glean something from it, even from somebody who's not good at it. So Sabbath is a practice of going back to the garden, to how God created us. Sabbath is a practice of going back to the garden. It purposefully allows us to sit in the presence of God. And it lets us live out our purpose. Remember our purpose to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Sabbath points us to that. And so we hear this word Sabbath and it just is kind of, for most of us it's just a word. It doesn't really have meaning. And so we got to put meaning to it. we got to understand how do we practice Sabbath. How do we put that into practice in our own lives? How do we get it there? And my answer to you is that it takes practice. It takes practice. Malcolm Gladwell in his book, The Outliers, says it takes 10,000 hours 
before you get really, really good at something. That seems very daunting. It seems overwhelming, but it's worth it. And I don't know about you guys, but I do not care about any of the sports in the Winter Olympics at all. But I'm watching it every single stinking night. Why? Because I'm watching the best of the best who have practiced and practiced and practiced. And they've put in the hours and they've put in the work to figure out how to throw a 45-pound rock of granite down a sheet of ice and land it on a bullseye. It's just fancy shuffleboard, but I love watching it. Right? Crazy people jumping off of ski jumps. But they've practiced and they've put in the work. And it is a wonder to see when you see somebody who's put in the effort and put in the work go and win. And they're so proud and overwhelmed. We need to put in the practice of Sabbath. We need to practice practicing Sabbath. So how do we practically do that? That's a lot of prac. How do we practically practice the practice of Sabbath? Let's go. So we have to practice. We have to purposefully remove ourselves from the complexity of the world in order to glorify God and to enjoy him. We have to set aside time to do it. I think a lot of us, and this is my excuse. I'll be honest, this has been my excuse. When do I have time to do this? My days are filled with work. My evenings are filled with family and church stuff. And then my weekends are usually filled with church stuff. I'm here on Sunday. And Saturdays, I got something else going on. I got to either mow the lawn or fix something in the house or whatever it might be. Where do I have the time? And what I'm going to say now is this. Sometimes we just have to say no to some things and yes to some other things. And this is something we should say yes to. And I'm going to have to in my life as well to set aside time to do it, whether that's an hour or an afternoon or a full day, whatever it might look like for you in your life, in your season of life, set aside some time. I don't care if it's 15 minutes. It's a start. You're practicing. You ask me to go jump off a ski jump, the first time I'm going to do it, I'm going to die if I do it the big one, right? I got to start small. I got to start small. So clear some time, an afternoon, an hour, or a day. I'll be honest, for our family, it's probably going to look like, like a four-hour span, whether it's in the morning or in the afternoon of probably a Saturday when we start to practice this, which we are talking about. How do we put this into place? It looks just four hours, not very long. Four hours of the day. Clearing some time, practically practicing Sabbath, and then removing distractions. Whatever those distractions might be for you. For me, it's my cell phone. It's a television. It's anything with a screen on it. It's easy to kind of pull you away for 30 seconds. Whatever is a distraction for you in your life, remove it. That's hard to say. Some of us are going to say, I'm going to do this for a half an hour every Saturday. I'm going to Sabbath. I'm setting aside half an hour. And some of us are going to put our phones away and we're not going to be able to make it a half an hour. And that's real. I know from experience of trying. Oh, I just got to check. Did anybody text me? Anybody, I got an email? Whatever's happening on whatever social media platform you might enjoy. It's going to be hard to remove distractions, but we have to practice it. 
We're not going to be perfect day one, but we have to practice it. Set aside time, remove distractions, and then live life. I don't expect, you know, if you, like for us, we're going to set aside four hours of time, and I've got two small children, and there's no way that we're just going to sit um, in a comfortable chair with our Bible for four hours and pray and worship God. That's not how that works, right? But what it is going to mean is that in the midst of living our lives with our family, whatever we might be doing, that we don't have anything else distracting us from enjoying our family and our hearts and minds will be bent towards God. That's kind of the end goal, to have our hearts and minds bent towards God. That doesn't mean that you can't have a meal as a family. Hey, we're going to you know, set aside Friday evenings. This is the time where we're going to set aside for Sabbath and we're going to get together and we're going to have a meal and we're going we're to just have our hearts and minds bent towards God. And when we're done, instead of cleaning up the meal, we're just going to throw all the dishes in the sink and then just enjoy time together as a family because this sink mess that we just created is a distraction from living life and enjoying God through whatever we got going on in our world. Does that mean I don't get to do this one thing or this other thing? No, what it does mean is that as you're doing whatever your life is doing at that moment, that our hearts and minds are bent towards God in that time. What does that do for us? What does that do for us? Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, just one verse, it says this, For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning... And rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust will be your strength. And if we went to the following verses, it says, but you're unwilling and you run away. It says you even get on a horse and you take off in the other direction. And I think some of us in our lives... When that quietness or trust or those moments where distractions are no longer around us, we try and find any way out and run. But God is saying, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. So what does Sabbath do? Sabbath points us back to the garden. It returns us back to how God created us. And we shall be saved that way. Not, not because I'm living my life the right way or not because I'm doing something else, but because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we can return to the garden. That's our desire, to get back to the garden, back into the presence of God. And we cannot do it on our own. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is life. You see, Jesus is the one who points us back to the garden. In the midst of our rest, in the midst of our needing to separate ourselves from the complexity of the world, removing distractions and setting aside time so that our minds and hearts are bent towards God, Jesus comes in and says, hey, are you heavy burdened? Come to me and I'll give you rest. 
I will point you back to the garden. I will make you whole again. I will rescue you out of the complexity of this world. Complexity starts in the garden, and Sabbath reminds us of how God created us and who died so that we can get back to how God created us. To glorify God and enjoy him forever comes from Jesus. Comes from Jesus. We get to experience the glory of the Lord at work in our lives in the midst of our Sabbath rest. Our Sabbath rest reminds us of the cross and it reminds us of how God created us. And we want to get back there. We want to get back to the garden. We want to get back to before Genesis chapter 3. So that we can glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our end goal. And so Sabbath points us in that direction. It's going to be hard. Some of us are going to go home and be like, I can't do this. I can't handle quietness. I can't handle it. And Jesus is saying, in rest and returning, you shall be saved. In quietness and trust will be your strength. Lean on him. Trust in him. Remove ourselves from this complex world that's full of all kinds of crazy noise. Just for a moment each week, so that our hearts and minds might be bent towards the things of God in that time. And over time, week after week after week, it will get easier and easier, and we can lengthen that time out to say yes to God and no to the craziness that comes before us. Going back to my crazy jazz example that nobody gets here but me, right? These complex songs, these songs that are so crazy and overwhelming are kind of in front of us right now. But in the midst of that lecture that I was listening to, Wynton Marsalis said this, all of those songs, all of those songs that seem so crazy and so complex and so out of this world can be broken down to in their simplest form back to the spiritual that they came from. If you dig into it deep enough, you can take it back to the spiritual that it came from. And then in this room, he was at the Aspen Idea Festival, which I don't even know what that means, but it sounds kind of crazy. It's just a place where ideas are happening, apparently. And they're in this giant tent, and there's about 400 people sitting out there, and he's on stage, and he says, and here's one of the spirituals that they sang. And the crazy thing about this song is that it was written by a slave trader And it's a song we sing today in churches all around the world. And he said, they would sing this in the fields. And all of these crazy complex things, all of these crazy things in our life can be pointed back to this. And Wynton Marsalis on his trumpet started playing Amazing Grace. Just him by himself. And then the piano player started playing with him. And they were very quiet about it. They weren't getting fancy complex with the jazz stuff in it. They just played the song. And in the midst of that, these 400 people in this room started singing along. This was not a Christian event. 
This was just a place where lectures were happening. And they started singing along. And they sang the first verse. And Winton's eyes are lighting up and you see that something special is happening in the room. The complexity that they just talked about is being wiped away and the simplicity of the grace of God is reigning over that room. And the second verse starts and they sing it even louder. And then they stand. This group of 400 people who didn't know that they were coming to a worship service, they were coming to a lecture on jazz, stand and start worshiping God. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The complexity of that music was rooted in the simplicity of that song. And the complexity of our lives is rooted in our sin, but it started in the garden where God created us with a specific purpose, to glorify him and enjoy him. And he's saying to us today, stand and sing with me. Remove this craziness that's going on in your life and come to me, all who are weary. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And we can worship with a simple song. Sabbath points us to the cross that points us to how God created us in the garden. And we can get back there. Some of us today are going, this doesn't make any sense. I've never even heard the word Sabbath before. I've barely even been to church before. Let me tell you this. Jesus Christ came to earth and he lived a life that was perfect and clean. So that our messed up lives, our complex messed up lives might be saved. And he died on the cross in our place so that we might live eternally with God. And we might get to have a relationship with God. We might get back to the garden. And for some of us today, you're like, I already understand that, Adam. I'm already on board with that. I'm already on board with Jesus dying on the cross for me. So what I'm saying to you today is in the midst of the Sabbath rest that we want to put into practice in our lives, it reminds us of what Jesus did and helps us not to forget. Because as wave after wave after wave of complexity comes upon us, it's easy to forget how to get back to the garden. It's easy to lose track of where it even is. When you turn back over your shoulder, you're not going to see it. And Jesus is there saying, I know the way. I can get you there. The worship team is going to come. And they're going to lead us in a song that we sang earlier. Above and below, before and behind me, Christ be all around me. And my prayer today for this room is that as we sing that, we're reminded of the complexity in our life and we're convicted that we need to pull away and say, God, Jesus, for a time each week, let's set aside a time where you can be above and below, before and behind, and it's all I'm thinking about. Distractions are removed. Craziness in our life is pulled away and we can say, yes, Jesus, Your death on the cross reminds us of our creation, of how you created us and how you loved us. There's gonna be people at the tables here if you wanna talk to somebody about whatever's going on in your life. Now's the time to respond. Our staff and our, our leadership team, the trustees will be there available for you. 
or you just need to go and pray and kneel and say, God, I have been living my life in such a way that I celebrate the complexity, that I celebrate it. Instead of saying, no, I need to get away from that and turn back to you and for us to say and repent of our sin and say, you know what? My complexity in my life, the craziness is my fault and I need to say yes to Jesus so that I can see the garden again. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And we thank you for your rest. That in the complexity of our world, in the craziness of the things that surround us and that are happening in our own lives, you call us to return to you and to rest in you. And that will be our salvation. That in the quietness and entrusting of you will be our strength. And Jesus, as you said, come to me, all who are tired, and you'll give us rest. And we say yes to that, God. We say yes to that, God. As the complexity of our world is before us, we ask that you remove it as we sing this song. As we worship you today, move in the hearts and minds of your people. In your name I pray. Let me just say one more thing to y'all, and then we'll do one thing before we leave. Just remain standing. God's love for you is huge. And there's nothing you can do to get away from it. He loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. No matter what kind of wall of complexity you put in front of your life, God will knock it down to get to you specifically. So in the midst of your life that looks like the left side of that screen, God is saying, I've got serenity for you. I've got saving grace for you to get you to the other side. The midst of your complex life that sounds like a crazy song of just notes, God is saying, I've got amazing grace for you.